Lord Jesus, we are prone to wander and we feel it. But thank you for your amazing grace that calls us back to yourself again and again. Lord, help us by looking at your word this evening to receive your grace and to give it away. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. I have a friend who is a pastor in Anchorage. And one day there was a man standing outside their church who was kind of grungy looking. He was smoking cigarettes and he was cussing. And an elder in my friend's church just got incensed and, uh, and kept saying to my friend, you've got to kick this guy off of our church property. And he looked at my friend and he said, you've got to understand, pastor. And as a pastor, you know you're just in trouble when you hear that sentence. <laughs> you've got to understand. What you don't understand, pastor, is people like that don't belong in church kind of an interesting phrase, don't you think? People like that don't belong in church. Who exactly would that be? This fall I'm going to be preaching about what the church is supposed to be. Do you know that 7 out of 10 Americans believe that church is completely irrelevant to their lives? And that's why I want to talk about who God calls us to be as a church. Because I believe if we're doing what God tells us to do, we're going to be the most relevant thing there is on the planet. And this evening, I want to just start with the very basic question, well, who is it that belongs in church? Now, the stereotype out there is that church is for nice, shiny, happy people who have their act perfectly together. Trouble is, that leaves most of us out, doesn't it? And the bigger problem is that is not who God says belongs in church. According to God... The people who belong in church is is everybody, especially those people who don't have their act perfectly together. And that's what we see in this story from the book of Acts. God sends Peter, a Jew, to go speak to Cornelius, a Gentile. And what you need to know is that Jews considered Gentiles moral catastrophes. Gentiles ate the wrong foods. They worshipped the wrong gods. Jews had nothing to do with them. In fact, if a Jewish person so much as accidentally brushed up against a Gentile, that person would have to go home and take a bath because he'd be considered unclean. And for their part, Gentiles hated Jews and had oppressed them for centuries. So in this story, God puts two groups of people together that hate each other and says, get along. You wonder why there's so much conflict in the church. The point is that God wants his church to be open to everybody. And open in two ways. The first is, God wants there to be no moral barriers excluding people from his church. One of the reasons that 7 out of 10 Americans don't think they want to be a part of church is this perception that in order to come here, you have to get your life put together. And that if you don't have your life together, well, then you're not welcome here. I've had people say this to me over and over again. Well, I can't go to church. I'll just get judged if I go there. And truth be told, as hard as we try to be loving, even against our own best intentions, sometimes even accidentally, we make people feel that way. At work, in our neighborhoods, in our churches, we see people whose lifestyle isn't you know, living according to the, what the Bible says. People caught in various kinds of sexual sins or addictions or business practices that aren't ethical. And it's easy for us to just kind of put up a wall between us and them. Or on the other side of the coin, there are people who we think of as too moral, and they know it. 
And they let everybody else know how moral they are. And they seem judgmental. And it's easy for us to sort of say, people like that don't belong in church because they're too judgmental. Either way, on moral grounds, we sort of subtly distance ourselves from other people. And that's what Peter is doing here. He felt that he was on good theological ground for not hanging out with Gentiles. But in verse 15, God says to Peter, You cannot call unclean what I have cleansed. We cannot exclude someone for whom Christ died. Died to make them whole and make them new people. A while back, I, I told you a story about a pastor I know of who's, who had a, a porn shop open up next to his church. And if you remember the story, I, he, instead of picketing and protesting, this pastor made it a habit of taking this owner of the adult bookstore to lunch just to tell him about Jesus. I can't imagine doing that as a pastor. I mean, the letters, the emails, the session meetings. I mean, no way. I'm not going to do that. But Jesus would. Because you see, we serve a Lord who was born in a barn and died on a garbage heap and spent everything in between with thieves and whores and foul-mouthed fishermen. And if we are going to walk in His footsteps, we are called to reach out to everybody. Now, before I go any further, I want to be clear. Does this mean that we approve of sin? Absolutely not. And does this mean that moral behavior doesn't matter? Of course not. Morality matters very much. God wants us to be like Jesus and to live according to His standards because those are the standards that are going to give us an abundant life. But here's the deal. We can't be like Jesus unless we know Jesus. That person whose lifestyle seems immoral, that person does not have a morality problem. No, no, no. That person has an intimacy problem. Mm -hmm. That person is not close enough to Jesus to have been transformed. That person who has a judgmental thing, that person doesn't have a judgmental problem, they have an intimacy problem. They are not yet close enough to Jesus. Get closer to Jesus, they'll be changed. It's a matter of getting the cart and the horse in the right order. You see, we don't become moral so that we can know Jesus and then finally we can come to church because we got our act together. No, that's the cart before the horse. It's the other way around. We know Jesus and we come to church so that we can become moral people. First comes Jesus, then comes moral character. And that's what Peter does here. You know, it's not as if Peter goes up to Cornelius and just sort of approves of everything he does. You know, Peter doesn't say, hey, I am so glad that you're a centurion. I think it's neat that you kill people for a living. That's awesome. You know, and, 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 you know, and that you are part of a, uh, an oppressive colonial power that is crushing my people. Way to go, Cornelius. Keep it up. You know, and, I mean, if that lifestyle works for you, who am I to judge? You know, just keep, keep out of there. Peter says nothing of the kind. But what he does do is he gets the most important thing first. Do you know Jesus? Because if you know Jesus, he's going to forgive you and he's going to lead you to a new life. In this story, Peter moves from thinking that the Gentiles are beyond God's reach to realizing that he is the arm of God that is going to reach them. God wants there to be no moral barriers keeping people out of his church. Second thing God wants... God wants there to be no social barriers keeping people from his church either. You know, churches are notorious for having social cliques. 
the in crowd and the out crowd, the beautiful people and the others. And I'll just let you figure out what category you belong in. You know, it's, it's sort of like we never get out of junior high. You know, am I cool? Am I cool? Do I belong to the cool people? And we have a tendency to divide ourselves, sort of old versus young, outgoing versus shy, white, black, Asian, professional class, working class. And not all of that is malicious. Some of that is just natural human affinities. But God wants so much more for us than that. God wants us to be a family. God wants us to be a community. And again, this is what Peter does. He doesn't just go preach to Cornelius. He, he stays with him. He eats with him. He makes friends with him. And, and boy, does that get him in trouble with the religious folk back home. When he gets back, they say, did you have to eat with him? Did you have to hang out with him? I mean, couldn't you have just preached at him and left? That would have been better, Peter. God calls us to reach across the barriers of uh, morality and the social cliques that divide us, economic differences, racial, political, age differences, all of those things, to become an inclusive community. And when we do, everybody gets blessed. In this story, Cornelius gets blessed because he gets to hear the gospel. And also, in this story, Peter gets blessed because he gets to see how wide, how long, how high, how deep is the love of God. And that it includes even Gentile sinners. You know, I I would not be able to be here in front of you today unless I had received this kind of welcome from Christians at some point in my life. As I've shared with you, when I was younger, I was so shy that, that I couldn't even live in a dorm my first year in college. I lived by myself in an apartment. And not only that, but I, I had a, a moral past that was colorful. Some of which I've shared with you and some of which I'm just going to keep to myself. And I was ashamed. And so when I became a Christian, I would go to church five minutes late and leave five minutes early so I didn't have to talk to anybody. But eventually, through a lot of different circumstances, I got shoved into a small group Bible study with some people who were very different than I was. I mean, they were socially graceful. They were good-looking. That wasn't so much me. They were wealthy. And they had impeccable moral credentials. In a word, they, they were, they were cool. And, and not just sort of a little kind of cool, but, I mean, they were super cool. They were doing pirouettes on the top of the cool pyramid. And I was kind of down at the bottom, you know, putting the bricks down. And I just felt so out of place. But they didn't think so. They'd invite me out to lunch. We'd play sports together. More importantly, we would pray together. We would share our struggles with each other. They even had a few. And they would hold me accountable to acting more like Jesus. And suddenly, I found myself being part of the kingdom of God and of God's family. And I went from being a shy, socially awkward person to someone who is at least socially functional. And I went from being a person with a checkered moral track record to someone who found that he had a place in God's church, even in the pulpit. And I never would have known that God could have used a sorry old sinner like me if it hadn't been for them. And, and they got something out of this too. I mean, this isn't just cool frat guy save the nerd from social annihilation. I mean, they, they got something out of it too. I mean, in me, they got a good listener. They got someone who was compassionate. Everyone was blessed. 
And one thing and one thing alone made that possible. Jesus. Jesus drew us together. Jesus kept us together in spite of our differences in social skills and moral histories and economics. Jesus held us together. And only Jesus can do that because only Jesus gives us something bigger than the things that divide us. Himself. So what about us? Who are the people in your life that maybe even unintentionally you are excluding for moral or social reasons? How might God be asking you to reach out to them? And maybe you feel excluded for one reason or another. Someone has made you feel excluded. I want to say categorically that Jesus died to include you in his family. You're more than welcome here. And are we as a community willing to embrace anybody and help them find Jesus, regardless of their morality, their social skills, their race, their age, no matter how different they they are than we are, are we willing to help them know Jesus? Are we willing to do that? That is, I will remind you, the number one job of the church. Who belongs in church? Anybody for whom Jesus died, and that's everybody. You know, when I, I first started talking to the search committee about coming here, I, I came one Sunday early in the process, snuck in just, just to check you out. And it was great, actually. Three different people rushed to welcome me, even though they had no clue that I was their future pastor. It was great. You were very welcoming. And I remember thinking, looking around and thinking, this is a pretty good-looking bunch of people. They kind of look like they've got it all together. They don't need a pastor. They don't need me. But in the last nine months, some of you have come to my office and shared some of the things you're struggling with. Struggles like adultery and pornography, having been abused as a child, being in incurable gossip or prideful or materialistic or not being able to get along with your neighbors or other people in the church, having a broken marriage, icy relationships with our kids, not really believing in God, even though you come to church, maybe just having an unloving heart and a whole host of other things, and that's just in nine months. And those are just the people that are talking to me. Y'all aren't nearly as put together as you look. Nobody is. And a lot of you have said the same thing to me. If people only knew what I really struggled with, well, I wouldn't be welcome here. I don't think that's true. That is not the congregation that I have come to know in the last nine months. That's not who I think we are. I think we understand very well as a church that church was never meant to be a country club to show off the perfected life. It's a hospital for sinners. And it's only as we are honest about the things that we struggle with that we can find healing. Be honest about them, not to sort of revel in them or celebrate our brokenness. The church is not a giant Jerry Springer show. And we're defined by our cure, not by our sickness. But honest with what we struggle with so so that we can point to Jesus and what he does in broken lives and the power he unleashes in our lives. And that's why Gary and Julie Brooks are heroes to me. Because by telling their story, they do three things. They make God look great, don't they? Because you see how powerful God is in their lives. The other thing they do is they show hope for anyone else who might be struggling. And the third thing they do is they make it okay to be here 
even if you're not perfect, because nobody is. At a church down in California called Peninsula Bible Church, the pastor one day named Ray Stedman was, was preaching from a passage in, in the New Testament that says that greedy people and sexually immoral people and thieves and all kinds of other sins will not inherit the kingdom of God unless they know Jesus. And the passage goes on and says, And such were some of you until you found Jesus, but you have been washed and cleansed through him. And as he was reading this passage, he looked up at the congregation and he said, How many of you come from a a sinful background such as one of the sins listed here? If you came from such a background, please stand up. Don't worry. We're not going to do that. You're safe. Well, nobody stood up. Go figure. But eventually this one elderly woman stood. And then another person. And then another person. And pretty soon two-thirds of the congregation was standing. There was a visitor there that day, a, a person who wasn't a Christian, just checking out what this church thing was all about. And he later told the pastor that when he saw all of those people standing, admitting to all of those different sins in church, he said the first thought he had was, I'm home at last. And so he was. Church is not for good people. Church is for people who mess up and need forgiveness and know that only Jesus gives it to them. Only Jesus can do it because only Jesus died to pay the price for our sins. And only Jesus has the power to help us live new lives. In this passage that we read, Peter says an interesting thing. He's talking about Jesus' life. And he says in the middle of it, he says, And they hung him on a tree to die. And what's interesting about that is if you look at Deuteronomy 21, it says that anyone who hangs on a tree is under God's curse. But Jesus hung on a tree. It's kind of interesting. Here, Peter's been worried about who's clean and who's unclean, who's moral and who's immoral, who's in and who's out. But by his own human religious standards, the Lord he loves so much would be considered unclean. And by the very religious law he would use to exclude Cornelius, he would have to exclude Jesus as well. There's an irony. Jesus himself would be excluded from church for being unclean. But in a way, that's kind of the point. Because you see, in Jesus Christ, God became unclean for us. He took on all of our sin and all of our brokenness so that we could be forgiven through him. And the scandalous good news of the gospel is just as simple. That God brought an unclean you and an unclean me to an unclean cross where we were made clean for the very first time in our lives. Who belongs in church? Anyone for whom Christ died. And that's you. And that's me. And that's those seven out of ten Americans who think that they need church like a fish needs a bicycle. But if they only knew... It took you a while on that one. If they only knew that in Jesus Christ they were forgiven and had the power to live new lives, they'd be busting down our doors to get here. Because you know what? That is the best news on the planet. And the question for those of us who take the name Christian is, will we let them in? Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for your amazing grace. Lord, thank you that you take us wherever we're at and move us along to the places that you want us to be. 
Lord, we confess that we don't always extend your grace. Lord, even, even when we try, we just accidentally sometimes mess it up. Lord, forgive us for that and help us to reach out to other people. Help us to receive your grace and help us to extend it. And we'll give you the glory. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.